me, Jay Aldman. Data is everywhere in our businesses, and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today in episode 61, we welcome Patrick Parker. Patrick is a tech executive turned founder with experience in operations, software development, multi-channel product distribution, and marketing involving both startup and growth operations. He is the CEO of SaaS Partners, helping clients with everything from business ideation to product service development to building scalable marketing strategies and everything in between. Patrick, welcome to the show. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So like we do with all our first-time guests, please just take a moment and tell the audience a little bit more about your career before SaaS Partners and how all of that experience led you to doing what you do now. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, prior to starting SaaS Partners, I uh, was a big four consultant for uh, over a decade and was delivering projects and, and products in most cases and just <clears throat> seeing the the outcomes, seeing the challenges with implementation and delivery, seeing customers be left at the end of multi-million dollar projects, uh, not understanding how to adequately use the system, not given the proper training, not given the resources to actually be successful on the platforms that they'd invested in. And I just looked at a, a couple of the other architects and folks that I worked with and said, hey, there's, there's got to be a better way. So back in uh, 2017, I, I struck out of there, opened up my own shop, bootstrapped it to a, a couple million dollars in revenue, uh, and just keep it on climbing. So today we work with uh, primarily software as a service companies, helping with everything from ideation and business modeling, strategic planning, uh, obviously marketing, go-to-market strategy, uh, and then product development. So that's where, uh, where we are today and, and continuing to, to build out our services and, and grow our brand. Nice. And that's something that you're, you're kind of speaking, you're, you're preaching to the choir with me on this because I've done a fair amount of consulting work in my career as well. And I it, it breaks my heart, frankly, to have that situation where you come in as a consultant. I'll talk from that perspective first. You come in as a consultant, you do good work and you come up with good ideas and the client has no way to implement them as successfully as, as they should. And it's frustrating for the consultant and it's certainly frustrating for the client because the client is like, I'm, I'm learning these things. I want to do these things, but our ability to execute just isn't there. And, and I feel like the traditional big four type consulting model is broken because they're not able to see it all the way through. And the economics of those engagements don't work, especially for small, mid-sized businesses to try to get acceleration through these kinds of engagements uh, and, and working mm -hmm. with those folks. So I appreciate that challenge. I'm really interested in learning, okay, how do you operate differently? Or what are some of the things that you've done to try to evolve that kind of broken model? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing is, I think where they come short is that they, they don't take a human centered approach, right? So <clears throat> by having buy-in from all the stakeholders and, and clearly identifying who those people are early on in the project and then working to make sure that they're included every step of the way so that by the time you get to the end of the project and it's, it's time to turn over uh, the platform for delivery, they've been engaged the entire time. They've been, you know, all the requirements and everything have been built with them in mind. So there's, there's no gaps uh, versus the, the way they do it now. They just go out and, and you know, usually 
capture requirements, they go out and build out a system, and then at the end of it, they come and try to tell someone how to use it, right? So there's there's been no opportunity to actually have that feedback loop with the actual customers or the end users themselves. So they end up with with something that you know do, doesn't meet the bill. It doesn't uh, doesn't pass the smell test. It doesn't cover uh, or, or support all the requirements that they had in the first place. So I, th- I think that's kind of the biggest thing is missing, just the uh, the human element of it. Um, and that that's something that we really try to focus on. Uh, we, we have a continuous feedback loop at every different uh, phase gate within our projects. We go back and we, we make sure that the clients and, and end users understand. We make sure that we have buy-in from them and we make sure that we're building a system that is gonna make their lives easier and obviously uh, ultimately solve a, a problem for them. Yeah, well, and, and obviously, like a, a client is going to be working with a consultant because they need to get something done and they don't have the internal resources or skill set to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. And yet there's a challenge there if you're on the client side trying to kick over to a consulting firm, hey, we can't address this problem ourselves, go fix it for us and then bring us that solution. And to your point, that's a recipe for disaster because the consulting firm is going to do its best, but it's not going to have that depth of understanding of the business that the business stakeholders actually do. And so if they're not able to commit some amount of internal resources towards guiding that amplification that the consulting firm brings, it's probably going to spell some problems no matter how much people want it to be aligned, right? Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, the customers don't know what they don't know, right? That's the whole reason that they're reaching out to a consulting agency in the first place. You know, the the biggest challenge there, I think, misstep is from a a consultancy perspective, you've got to really dive in and do a a process of discovery with those clients to really uncover and kind of dig deep uh, within those operations so that you understand it and so that you can build out a a solution that is ultimately going to... uh, resolve that need uh, or, or fill that gap that they have. Yeah, I, I, I've seen on the consulting side, you know, you you get paid to come in and bring ideas and, and you get good at it over time and you, you gain confidence. But there's a danger of being arrogant, like you have it all figured out, like you understand everything. And if you yep. think that the thing that you've done in the past is exactly what is going to be needed here, then you're ultimately going to do a disservice to that, that client organization because every client is different. And, and what I, what I coach when I, when I'm leading consulting teams, right. My, I coach the, the consultants, especially junior consultants, like, Hey, table stakes is you have to understand the patterns. You have to understand this is what often happens. This is the kind of thing you've seen before, but what makes a good consultant is how do you understand what's unique? about this particular client, about this particular situation. And what do we have to do differently than we did anywhere else to be able to help this client uniquely? And if you can get to that point, then you're really getting on the right track. Yeah, I I think you hit it on the head. I mean, no two clients are like, you can always take those best practices and lessons learned forward to future engagements. But at the same time, you've still got to step back and evaluate uh, what the differences are you know, so that you can build a solution that fits the needs of that particular business, right? There is no one size fits all in consulting. Mm-hmm. You know, there are off the shelf products and solutions that, that, that may serve a need. But again, at the end of the day, the implementation style for that may be completely different. I mean, again, it's just understanding how that organization ticks, understanding how people prefer to work within that organization, uh, and then making sure that you've got a solution to support it. 
that's that yeah that's very well said and and so i want to dig in um to uh how you work with software as a service companies and where your kind of market niche is in uh mm-hmm. in helping these these client organizations could you talk more about that or maybe uh use some examples of um you know the kinds of projects that you engage in and where you found you know some really impactful um success with clients Absolutely. So we, we do a lot of uh, go-to-market strategy development for early stage, right? Mm-hmm. Helping uh, helping founders, uh, primarily technical founders is, is kind of in our niche, helping them find, uh, kind of develop who their ideal customer profiles are, helping them understand what channels they need to, to have a presence in when they're, they're going to market, understanding what that looks like in terms of of advertising in terms of, of paid search, paid SEO, things like that, and seeing really where they need to to spend their time and their money in order to get their first customers. Mm-hmm. So that's a big piece of it. And then we also work with non-technical uh, founders to actually build out their products. So a lot of times we will be developing software as a service uh, products and then helping to take them to market. So we'll partner with them in that regard too. Uh, and then just augment or support their existing teams just so that they can kind of do more with less. We also do a, a ton around automation, uh, specifically marketing and sales, uh, and then kind of back end workflow process automation as well. Again, just kind of helping them stay lean uh, and then helping them drive ROIs uh, by, by being able to reduce the actual human capital costs uh, that they'd otherwise uh, incur without with that level of automation. So that's that's kind of where we started. Um, we do provide a, a ton of other services within. I mean, it's, it's extremely broad. I could probably talk about that for, for days and days. But but what we've tried to do is just go out and, and we try to get uh, the top experts uh, in each different functional area and make sure that we have people that have worked at big companies and that have gone through these exercises and, and had these experiences of helping companies uh, launch, grow, and scale. And then making sure that we are are helping to also educate founders throughout the process, right? Because at the end of the day, you want your clients to a understand uh, the the expertise that you have, but you also want to build that trust. So in order to build that trust, it's important to educate them along the way. Uh, so at the end of the the engagement or at the end of the day, they walk away feeling like they learned something uh, in addition to uh, reaping the benefits of of you know, the services that you're providing. Yeah, well, it, it I, I like that you provide both some of that, you know, strategic and product design and, and you know, guidance from that perspective, because you've seen things that have worked in the market, you've seen things that haven't, you can help early stage companies that have a good idea, but need to refine that to get it to market in a successful yep. way, you can help them, them with that, but then you can also help them get over the hump of the initial build. In that in that mm-hmm. technology development side, because what you need to grow the company past a phase one or not, I don't want to use phases, but like for a version 1.0 technology software as a service type offering to get to that first place, the amount of, of development time and energy and all of that is tremendous. And yeah. you're going to need some of that to keep growing it or what have you, but it changes. It evolves to needing to manage both operations as well as support the continued development of the platform. But that initial rollout is a tough road. And so I appreciate that you're there to help give them that insight of here's what it's going to take to build. We may amplify your team. You may have some technical leaders on your internal team, but we are going to take this and help you get 
to that stage with a clearer um, perspective, a clear strategy that you'll then mm -hmm. be able to take and run with. And, and we're here to help you uh, in that journey beyond. But a lot of your focus is on helping them get out of the gate in a successful way. Am I, am I characterizing this correctly? hundred percent. I mean, that's what people really love about our firm is that we have uh, taken a multifaceted approach to understanding all the different functional areas, being able to provide consulting and expertise in those areas, and then also being able to help uh, execute in those as well. So again, designing, developing products uh, is kind of the foundation of, of what we do. But after you've got that product built, how are we taking it to market? How are we scaling it? What does that look like? Uh, so people love that they can come to us, they pay one bill, uh, they get everything that they need taken care of. Uh, and then we also work, uh, as I said earlier, to, to, to educate them on the process, just so that going forward, they know what questions to ask as well. And they have a high level of comfort with us. Um, I'm always amazed by the number of founders that come in and, and they have, you know, built a, a product, they've kind of worked towards their version one. But then when they meet with us, they say, Okay, well, I need to start marketing it. And they've got 15 to 20 different uh, ICPs that they're, they're trying to market to. And it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, we've, we've got a niche down, we've got a focus, we've got a, you know, rewrite copy. And, and you start talking about uh, all the marketing activities and tasks that need to be done. And there's just so many moving parts. And, and it's very easy as a, as an early stage founder to get overwhelmed by all that needs to be done, right? Especially when you have uh, a smaller team, or you may be a, you know, a, a group of, of co-founders just starting out. So we really kind of, of demystify that entire process. Uh, we've got uh, proven playbooks uh, for go-to-market strategies and stuff like that, that we walk founders through. So they know exactly what to expect and they know where to focus their attention, right? Cause that's, that's the biggest thing. We see so many founders fail because they don't know where to focus, right? They, they're working on product. They think the product's going to sell itself, but when it doesn't, they've got problems, right? So they turn around and, and we just help kind of, of streamline that, uh, those startup activities and make sure that, that they're grounded in reality and that they understand what the steps are that need to be taken in order to, to actually have a successful launch. Yeah, and, and I love your point around, you know, that, that whole marketing side, because especially for technology type companies that are driven fundamentally by an engineer with an idea, this is true. And, and this is true in the founder and entrepreneurial space. This is true in our enterprises in departmental level things that are building applications is that we get focused on building the widget and not realizing that the if you build it, they will come only works in Field of Dreams. Like you have to be thinking marketing the entire time. Even if you're not taking action on it immediately, you have to be thinking about how will we take action? How do we start to communicate? What is the sales uh, funnel? How What is the pipeline of, of awareness? And all of that stuff is tremendously boring to engineers who want to focus on building the thing. And I get it, but it's not it's not going to be successful unless you can connect your your brainchild to the people out there who have a need for it. And it's so heartbreaking to see how often great technology solutions that should have a home with people never make mm. it because they just never put enough energy in finding the people, finding the, the connection points. Absolutely. Yeah, it never developed a strategy, right? It's it's the same thing. So it, it's uh it's funny. I mean, literally, it's it's probably one in one thousand product actually sells itself because it's something that's revolutionary that that solves a need that that everyone has and everyone is just happy to jump on it. 
But for everyone else, it's extremely tough, right? You've got to spend a, a lot of time and energy really working to understand who your customers are, uh, spending time talking to those customers, understanding you know their thought process, their behavior patterns, et cetera, so that you can craft uh, really strong sales copy uh, that is going to ultimately lead to conversions uh, for your product, right? That's client acquisition at the end of the day is always going to be the lifeblood of any SaaS company specifically. So if you're not acquiring customers, then your business is dead in the water. So how do you do that? What what can you spend your time on to make sure uh, that you're going to be successful uh, out of the gate, right? That's that's the stuff that, that we spend a lot of time on and really put an emphasis on, especially with, with technical founders, because at the end of the day, they believe they've built this great product and, and most of the time they have, but it, if you can't sell it, it doesn't matter, right? No one will ever see it, appreciate it and benefit from it. And so that's where we kind of step in to further that agenda. Well, and that's why you create a leadership team. It's not a leadership person. It's a leadership team Absolutely. where if you don't like doing X, Y, and Z, find people who do and, and partner yes. with them. Think about those different facets of, of the job. Because one thing I have learned is like for me personally, I founded businesses and I've done various things and I hate the sales process. Like I hate it. I don't like to sell stuff. I don't like to go out and, yeah. and shake the trees for money. And I don't like it enough that I will try not to do it. And if I will try not to do it as an entrepreneur, I'm in trouble. I am in trouble. That's right. And so I That's need right. a partner who loves that side of things, loves to be able to go and pursue new business. I love to be the consultant who delivers. You know, I love to be the consultant who comes in and solves problems. I love to do that on the on the industry side as well. But I've, you have to understand as a founder or as a, a collective leadership team, where are your holes? Where are your blind spots? Where are the things that you know you don't really want to do? And can you find somebody who loves that part of the business as much as you dislike that? I always tell all founders, the most important characteristic that you can have as a founder is self-awareness. And it really is understanding what your strengths are, just like you said, understanding what you're good at or what you don't enjoy and finding the people that, that have expertise in those areas, finding the people that can help you move the ball forward. Right. And so, you know, we always encourage founders not to spend a ton of time on activities that they're not good at or they, they don't enjoy. Right. That's where, we step in from a consulting perspective, or we make recommendations as far as, as who would best serve them and their company at that stage, that point in time, right? So, you know, again, I always say this to, to clients, you don't know what you don't know. Easiest thing to do is work towards getting educated, research. I mean, there's, there's you know, topics and, and materials uh, around everything that you could ever possibly want to learn. It's something that is so incredible about the information age that we're living in now. But you've got to take that step and you've got to at least have some kind of fundamental education around the different functional areas of how to how to run a business, how to, to market your products and things like that, just so you can, you know, sleep comfortably at night, knowing that uh, the people that you are working with or the agency that you're working with knows what they're talking about, or at least knows more than you've been able to research. I, I see so many different agencies, uh, so many different consultancies, and you've probably seen this as well in your career, but a lot of times you're the second call that was made, right? They've already talked to someone else. They've already gone through another consulting firm. The results were terrible. You've been brought in to fix problems. I mean, we, I can't tell you how often that happens with us. Uh, and again, a lot of that is just because of miscommunication and misunderstanding on part of, of the businesses. They, 
understand what problem they're trying to solve but not how to communicate it right so they they deal with that first company and not knowing uh that company comes in provides a service and then somebody else got to come in behind them and, and clean it up right yeah well and, and and there's so much to uh fit like and and whether or not that consulting partner gets you and and aligns with mm -hmm. it i i i think about one when back many years ago i was studying for the gmat which was the um graduate management admissions test i think that's what it's called mm -hmm. but it's what you had to take to be able to go get an mba and i'm like okay yep. i'm gonna study i want to go get an mba someday and i want to i want to pass this test and i and i got this book or it was like the four books it was it was big and it was yep. heavy and i didn't understand anything that those things were talking about i was doing my best but i was really struggling i was bombing all the practice tests. i'm like i just don't get it and then i found a smaller book was written a little bit differently, but it was still a GMAT preparation book. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I get it. Now, why didn't the other book tell me these things? <laughs> and then all of a sudden my practice test started improving and, and it just clicked. And it works like that with consulting firms as well. Like just because a person you know had this consulting firm in that did a great thing and it, it you know, worked for them, it doesn't mean it's necessarily gonna work for your business because you might need totally different things. You know, it's like, if you yeah. look in the mirror, that's better than not looking in the mirror. But remember, everything is flipped from reality when you're looking in the mirror and you need that outside advisor team that can tell you those things that you can't see otherwise. Yep, absolutely. And, and talking about things that you can't see otherwise, I mean, that's that's kind of what, you know, is a good segue into, into the data um, mm -hmm. because it's the same thing. A lot of founders, especially from a, a technical perspective, they don't understand the the metrics, right, that they need to be tracking. So every company is going to have its own North Star metrics, and none of them are going to be the same, right, depending on what the, the goals of that company are uh, in growing and scaling their business. So you're going to have, you know, goals uh, and objectives in, in each different functional area, and, and, and all of those need to be tied back to the metrics, to the data. <clears throat> and so... It's the same thing. It's it's it, it literally, you know, transcends across all functional areas. But you've got to have people that are intelligent enough and experienced enough to understand what those different data points that are being collected are, how the calculations need to be performed, uh, and how they need to be tracked over time to actually gauge the the health and success of your business. Right. I was talking to a uh, a founder the other day, a good friend of mine who was was kind of boasting a little bit and bragging on on how well his company was doing which there's nothing wrong with that right i mean that's that's something that we all get excited about right we we love those wins within our company and we want to share them with other people right uh so anyways i, I quickly started asking him a couple of questions around his metrics around his kpis around you know his revenue talking about things like churn, talking about cost per lead, talking about customer acquisition costs, CAC paybacks and stuff like that. And he really quickly realized that he had no idea how he was actually doing, right? And so long story short, he ended up going back. He was able to get uh, a bunch of information from his developers, reach out to his marketing team, um, this is a founder that doesn't actually work with us. It's just a, just a guy that I've built a great relationship. But but at the end of the day, his business was fine. It was healthy. Mm -hmm. But that scramble of not knowing and not understanding whether or not it was healthy, having no way uh, to know at a glance uh, if he's doing well, he just he sees revenues growing up, right? Mm -hmm. And revenues, 
They just don't tell the whole story. So that's why you need to be able to actually dive deeply into the data to understand, is this model that I've built uh, sustainable in terms of, of scale and growth? And so anyways, he, he came back to me a week later and was like, my company's good. He's like, just wanted you to know that. He's like, but thank you so much for, for making me aware of the need uh, to actually report on these things. So now they're, they're working on building out reports and everything. And it was like, that's, that's a great thing to do. It's something that you should understand and that you should implement from the beginning so you don't get in that, that position. But again, the, uh, the need is there, right? You, you've got to be able to understand at a glance how healthy is my business. And it's more than just revenues. Yeah. Do you have any, are there any shortcuts or any like common, like these are the few core metrics that really any founder should start compiling before they know anything. If there's anybody yeah. out in the audience, it's an entrepreneur that's like, uh Oh, all I know is my revenue number. Cause I imagine sure, there might sure. be, um, <laughs> you know, what, what are, what are a good couple places to just say, okay, I got to I got to at least get a little bit more than just looking at my bank account and seeing how much cash is in it, which I think is how. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, that's, business. it's so funny because that that's the one that people always want to brag about, right? People always, it, it's, it's the, the sexy number, right? It's what's your monthly recurring revenue? What's your annual run rate? Give me those MRR and ARR numbers. And, and people want to judge how well you're doing based on that, but it, it just doesn't tell the whole story. So when you tell somebody that your cost per lead is is $2, right? You tell somebody that your cost per lead is $12, right? Those numbers are sexy because that's a scalable model. So the lower that you can keep that cost per lead, the lower that you can keep that customer acquisition cost, right? The lower that you can can keep that uh, CAC payback time, those are the things that that you look at to see. Okay, is what I've built scalable, right? So if you can get leads for cheap, you're closing a, a solid percentage of your deals. It's it's a it has to it's a great indicator of how your sales team is doing, right? In terms of the quality of the leads, in terms of the the closer win rate, uh, how long does it take to to pay back? Uh, what you've spent on your advertising and marketing initiatives, you know, that lets you know, yes, this is a scalable model. This is something I continue, can continue to grow. So, I mean, always start there. You want to see, you want to make sure that that, that uh, customer acquisition cost payback time is low enough uh, so that you're not going to run into issues with cash flow, right? So you can start to see how these different metrics, just with these few basic ones, um, they carry across multiple business functions, multiple business areas, and they're going to hit several different places on your balance sheet. So there's, there's metrics like that from a marketing perspective that are great. Churn's another one you always want to measure. It's always going to be cheaper to, uh, to retain an existing client than it is to, to go out and, and try to acquire a new one, right? So there's, there's metrics around there that you, you want to make sure that you're tracking uh, because those are going to tell you, again, a lot of things about your product. How do people like my product? What does the adoption look like? Is, is the price point uh, sufficient, for example, to continue attracting new clients and to, to keep clients going forward? So a lot of metrics there uh, from a marketing perspective, sales perspective as, as well. You talk about minimum qualified leads. Do I have the number of leads? It doesn't matter if you get them cheap if you can't get enough of them, right? Um, so there's, there's a number of different things to, to look at. And, and a lot of the articles that we have on our site kind of go into those in detail of, at a minimum, what are the the uh, different KPIs or metrics that you should be tracking month over month within your business to determine uh, whether or not it's healthy? 
That's that's great advice. So I hope that folks out there are starting to track metrics, but I'm sure that there's some entrepreneurs that are in the audience uh, that find that uh, extremely, extremely valuable. So I want to ask you about something. This is something that I've had in the back of my head to ask a guest for a long time, and I haven't done it. And I'm going to ask sure. you because you have some background with raising capital with early stage companies mm -hmm. in a variety of different contexts. And I'm curious because this is one area of business I have not done personally which is sure. raise outside revenue. So do, how do you raise capital for like for those of us who don't have a bunch of rich friends we can call up and say, hey, you got $100,000 I can spare, I, I could use some, some additional uh, investment. You know, I've, I've seen road shows, I've done things that are involved with that, but like when you are setting out, and, and I wanna also yeah. talk about the, the consulting firm model is a tough one to go start a business on. We'll talk about that in a little bit, yeah. but just broadly in terms of raising capital, what what do you do? How do you get started with trying to build a business like that? Absolutely. It's uh it is always a, a lot harder and takes a lot longer than you ever expected. So that's that's the big thing. That's true of For, everything uh, in, in starting a business though, right? It, it is. <laughs> it, it is. But th this is especially, especially can be so. especially brutal yeah. because you can have uh, a ton of meetings set up. And at the end of the day, it, it's one of those things where it may take a hundred no's to get to a yes. Right. And so that the, the rejection can just be brutal for a lot of people's psyche. Um, it's, it's very challenging, but, but the biggest thing is used to, you could put together an MVP, right? You have your minimum viable products. You're ready to take it to market. You do your marketing campaigns and stuff around that for go to market strategy. You launch it. You're good to go. Right now. There's so many products to choose from, uh, within any given industry that that saturation has caused customers to be even more specific about how well those products perform, uh, how well the user interface works or looks and how well the user experience flows, how smooth it is, right? So used to, you could take products to market that still had some defects, some minor things in it. Now, you know, expectations, customers will literally turn off your, your, your platform that quick, right? And the reason that I say that is to go back to, to the fundraising, right? So investors usually prefer to invest in companies that already have products built, at least an MVP, right? So that way they're, they're really funding the go-to-market strategy, the client acquisition strategies, and they're not spending a ton of money on, on products, right? So it used to be a lot easier to raise money without a product unless you have something that's completely revolutionary. Uh, that's just not the case anymore, right? They want to see traction. They want to see... Uh, growth. They want to see that, that you're capable of running a business and overcoming the initial hurdles of a startup. So <clears throat> the way that, that we always uh, approach fundraising is obviously at this point, we've, we've built a bunch of good relationships with different uh, venture capitalist firm, investment banks, et cetera. Um, and so we generally reach out to those, but, but what we do is we niche everything down and we say, okay, who are the companies that invest in early stage or growth stage within this specific industry, within this niche, et cetera. And we always target those people first, mm -hmm. making sure that you have a, a solid pitch deck that really highlights uh, the opportunity, the team, the market size. Uh, again, something that we talk extensively about within our blog articles, but making sure that you can clearly articulate what the opportunity is uh, and what the, the overall vision is. And then after that, it's just a matter of, of making those introductions to potential investors, uh, following up with them continuously, 
and, and again, just be prepared for, for rejection. Yeah. A lot of founders uh, that are raising capital and, and anyone that's, that's ever raised will tell you this. It's, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword, right? Because you need capital in order to launch your business, in order to scale your business a lot of times uh, if you don't have the resources to bootstrap, right? But what they don't tell you is how much it actually takes you out of your business to go chase capital. I mean, it's raising money is a full-time job in itself. Usually you have a, a, a founder, a co-founder that is spending time doing that, or you have uh, advisors who have really solid connections or have experience doing it in the past, existing relationships uh, with, with VCs and IVs. But otherwise, be prepared to, for your business to actually suffer as you spend that time trying to build and cultivate relationships. So I always tell people, if you're planning on, on doing a raise next year, right, say, say summer of next year, then you should already be started uh, on building those relationships and reaching out, making connections with people um, now so that when it is time to raise, you're prepared to, to go out and send us your pitch decks uh, and then set up those meetings. So that's uh, kind of the, the 30,000 foot helicopter view of it. Um, there's a lot of, of different areas of that that we can, uh, can get really deep in. So if you've got some specific questions about where to look, what the tools are, things like that, I'm happy to talk about that. There's also companies out there that will help do fundraising on your behalf. So, I mean, that's a, another very popular model. Usually they charge four to 5% of the total raise. Uh, but again, those people have, have, uh, good relationships. So they, they have pretty good placement rates as well. Um, but yeah, fire away. Any other questions you got on that? So, and, and, and that's something where I think a lot of uh, folks out there are going to have unique situations to, uh, you know, for what their goals are around uh, a capital raise. And it is interesting because you mentioned that there's these organizations out there that will help people raise capital for a fee. Mm -hmm. It's amazing today how many things are available on a contract basis and, and relatively efficiently. Like you can go find these okay. firms if you think about 15, 20 years ago, like, what are you going to do? Open up the yellow pages and try to find all of these different kinds right. of services. And, and so we're now at this point where we can take for granted that you can launch businesses to do this yep. narrow step in the life cycle, in the value chain, and reach a whole yep. bunch of customers that you literally would never have been able to contact before without a huge network or some other avenue to, to reach them. And so the cost of you know, doing it and the availability of these kinds of assistance, um, you know, it's, it's a really interesting thing. So, I mean, instead, instead of trying to just imagine what people really want <laughs> to have, because I think there's so many, I want to talk about the, the, the nature of these kinds of services businesses, because a consulting firm is a really difficult business to scale. It's a relatively easy business to start, because like, if mm -hmm. I want to put my single shingle out there and be a consultant, I got that. That's no problem. And I could probably make a solid living doing it. And it's probably where a couple few people you can get onto the payroll and, and do that and start to grow a nice little tiny niche company without too much overhead. Like you can kind of sure. live hand to mouth and, and you're, you're okay. But to scale a substantial business out of that model requires mm -hmm. a kind of linear function of headcount growth to growth in the business and it is a tough road to do that so how like how have you found that like what have you been able to do is it just because you're providing such a 
service offering in that space or what what secrets do you have for folks that are out there building these kinds of services businesses um realizing some of the challenges to get to that level yeah i mean first of all we're we're very good at what we do and that always helps we build award-winning products um and as a result a lot of those products that are b2c or b2b2c right we end up having those end users or those customers of our customers say god i love that platform i mean we we didn't for the uh we didn't spend a dollar advertising for the first three years we were in business and we we grew from literally bootstrapped uh to to two million Mm -hmm. and uh just just absolutely killing it adding adding over half a million revenue a year We've, we've continued on that pace um without having to advertise just because the referral network was so strong that we had built uh, and just because we're in the right places, right? So we do a lot of uh, discovery calls and kind of diagnostic calls, just helping entrepreneurs and and founders to understand what challenges that they're having within their business. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's, it's one of those things where we, we garner that trust. We've, we've, gotten these playbooks that we've developed over time. And as we're having success in taking products to market, right, we're able to point to that and say, hey, this is this is somebody that we recently launched that's in a similar situation, similar background. And those customers typically stay with us too. So we don't see a high turnover. We usually see ongoing work uh, with those people as well because as they're working to solve the various problems in a startup, as they're working to, to kind of unlock those new levers of growth within their business, uh, and achieve those different magnitudes of scale, that's that's the point where we're able to step in and, and kind of augment uh, their existing efforts uh, and then kind of guide them in the right direction so that they continually grow. And it, it's the same thing. It, it, it helps when you have uh, companies that have uh, been backed by venture capital firms. I mean, of course, that piece of it is is great in terms of you don't ever have to worry about whether or not you'll be able to pay the bill. But um, with those other entrepreneurs too, it's, it, it's the same thing. It's as we are helping them generate success, they then have the money to turn around and continually reinvest in their business uh, as well. And we're always the first call because we've delivered such great results. So, I mean, that's that's a big piece of it. Uh, content is, a, is another big piece. Uh, and just kind of structuring our offerings so that they will scale with the business, you know, as the, the starter gets into the, the next step of their, their journey, right? And so as long as we're, uh, we're kind of lockstep with them, we continually have those opportunities to say, hey, okay, here's what you need next, right? Here's the next step. And, and trying to make sure that we build that, that SaaS flywheel, right, that, that's going to continually have uh, and, and help them build momentum in their business to, to keep pushing through. So um, we've done that, executed on that really well. I mean, we, we grew, we had a... Uh, four it was uh four of us that started this and now we've got 32 employees here we've got a second headquarters in india uh so just a a rapid growth story just just from that perspective in itself um but enjoying the journey and i mean the the biggest thing is enjoying being able to to make an impact uh in the businesses of other founders that are turning around and 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 enjoying a lot of of early success and in most cases continued success so Great. Yeah. Well, it goes to show like just we were just previously talking about how easy it is to find a company who can do whatever thing, but it goes to show, you know, 
customer satisfaction, referrals, growing people, mm -hmm. you know, truly helping businesses grow. That is the best way to grow your own business because you're, you are making a positive impact. You are helping yep. these organizations and trying to lead with not how do I grow my business bigger, but how do I help my clients the most? And, and focusing there will come back to you and will allow you to create that kind of uh, flywheel in the growth model of, of your and own that, Strictly because your interests are aligned, right? Your interests are, are helping each other and growing together. And there's nobody that, that doesn't want to kind of pay things forward to the people that have helped them along the way. And they can continue to, to help them as, as long as they're continuing to, to see that sustained performance and, and, uh, and ultimately the, the outcomes and results that come along with it. Yeah. And, and I remember, you know, in my consulting days, like I would get emotionally invested in the success of my clients. And when you're working at large consulting firms, you're off and off to another client pretty quickly. But when you're working yep. in a niche firm and you're working with the, the leads of that company to work with mm -hmm. your company, those relationships stay, those relationships continue. And, and that, I think, is an important part of that true partnership. Not everybody. I think we're moving to a world. And that's what I want to close with on this is your thoughts on what, like where are we heading with this? But we're moving to a world where we don't have to hire everybody as employees inside our organizations to be successful. Yeah. But what we need are great partners that we can work with consistently to continue to help build our businesses. I think that model's changing. But I'm curious in your thoughts, because you're here with the people that are today's, you know, early stage companies are creating tomorrow's future. What are you seeing? What do you yeah. what do you see on the horizon that's gonna change? No, I mean I, I think I think you just you just hit the ball out of the park on that one. I mean, literally we, we named our, uh, our company based on that. That's why we're SaaS partners. I mean, we literally are technology and, and marketing and, and sales and all these other uh, functional areas. We're the partner of choice for these early stage companies, for these growth stage companies uh, looking to, to take things to the next level. I mean, that's what we do. We, we used to uh, take any and every client early on, right? Just for the sake of, of revenue and growth. But recently, uh, probably the last 18 months, we have transitioned out of that. We only work with founders that we actually believe in their vision and are passionate about helping and think that they have a, a solution that uh, is something that, that we can help them be successful in, in launching and taking in the masses, right? So that's, that's the other side of it. So it's not a... You know, we work with anyone and everyone now. I mean, we work with, with motivated people that we like. I mean, because at the end of the day... There's nothing worse than working with a bad customer. Uh, having to fire customers is, is something that unfortunately happens as well. I mean, it's both both sides of the uh, the coin with that. But you know, we work with with passionate people. We are passionate people, passionate about helping our customers, helping them realize a dream, helping them take things to market. And I, and I, th I think that's something that uh, is conveyed throughout our entire culture. And I think that that's why people love partnering with us. They know that, hey. It can be very stressful, but at the end of the day, don't take life too seriously, right? Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. Uh, if you don't, it's just not, it's not worthwhile. Yeah. So it, it's not a, it's a very hard business being in, being a, an entrepreneur, being a founder, uh, the, the statistics, the odds, everything else that you see, you know that they're stacked against you, but you're doing it anyways because you believe uh, in your product in your offering uh, that it's going to make a difference. And so again, we, we love uh, working with people, cultivating those relationships with passionate people and then helping them scale. That's, that's really awesome to hear. And, and I think 
speaks volumes to to me and and I'm sure many many folks out in the in the audience. So we're all out of time though, Patrick. Thank you uh, for being on the show today. This has been incredible. Hey, absolutely, Anthony. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been great to be here. Absolutely, would love to have you back again. And thank you all out there for joining us today. Uh, you'll find more information about Patrick and SAS Partners in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe to the podcast and check out past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. Stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact.